and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord community Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korvar. And I'm Kikita Kaori. And oh my goodness, we have, well technically, we only have one thing this week, which is <laughs> the new fiction, The Yoga Curse, part one, by Josiah Duke-Harris and Katrina Ostrander. But oh my goodness, there is so much. So, so much. I and this is only part one as well. So, <laughs> so yes, that's that's our topic for today. So in the Yoga Curse Part One, as you said, it's by uh, Josiah Duke Harrist and Katrina Ostrander. Yoko Junzo is trying to ward the extremely cursed Kunshu. It seems to be growing more cursed every day. The Sword of the Hante, and is barely managing before it. It starts attracting evil across the empire. Uh, that's what his concern is. He learns that the curse can only be removed by a Hante, but inconveniently, both Hante heirs are missing. So he sends word to the regent to tell of the growing evil. Meanwhile, a young scorpion guard, Yoko Jiro, accompanies a strange and unpleasant woman, Atsuko, to go see Yoko Junzu, but she seems more than she initially appears. Now, from that summary, you may think, gosh, this sounds like it's going to be a short episode. It is not going to be a short episode, because in that very small summary, a whole heap of law nuggets gets thrown at us, and it's glorious and amazing. Not only are there going to be spoilers for The Yoga Curse Part 1, the recent fiction, there will also be spoilers for recent fictions and also The High Woman, which is the one of the Gen Con adventures, and also Trail of Shadows, and also Palace of the Emerald Champion. So, so spoilers ahoy. Right. Be very aware, if you have not played... Uh, the High Woman, or I think sometimes it's being called uh, Some Missing Saki. Be aware that this has spoilers in it. And you can find the adventure online, and we'll have a link to it uh, if you are not playing it soon. But that was the uh, Gen Con 2019 uh, RPG adventure. And this uh, story kind of acts as a, a bit of a summary or story result from that convention game. So we can't really talk about it without spoiling that, though we try not to spoil RPG adventures very often. So Sometimes there just isn't really an option. because, And this, this is one of them, because this is the story result, which is essentially they took the most common results, or they took all the results that people reported, and from those through some magical alchemy and algorithm, they came up with some official timeline events. And uh, so we're going to be discussing that. So, right. well, let's just lean into, let's start off with some non-spoiler bits. <laughs> the Yoga Castle is the Castle of Learning. Uh, and by learning, they mean it's stuffed with artifacts and evil spirits that have been captured and are being controlled and uh, Attempts are made to decurse them and to de-evil them with varying levels of success. Yes, they have about the most evil basement in Rokugan. 
Mm. We we thought uh, Kuniori's basement was evil, but no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Let's see. Um, so we learned a little bit about Yoko Junzo and the Yogo family in recent generations. Yoko Junzo is the daimyo of the Yogo family. Uh, he believes he has broken his curse um, by turning in his father. His father was getting wrapped up in a certain fascination for Uchiban. So here it's, in this story, it describes Uchiban as the leader of the Bloodspeaker cult. So we have had references in the RPG previously to Uchiban as being a powerful Mahosukai, potentially from outside the empire. Um, it's not specified. There are theories in old lore, but since they've never come up in new lore, I'm not going to mention them here. Um, who came and created the Bloodspeaker cult that are mostly involved in Mahosukai, but they're very, uh, do a lot of dark magic and so on. The Yoko run the Black Watch, not the Yoko Daimyo, but in the uh, Yoko family does. So it's not directly under the control of the Daimyo. The Scorpion do this a lot, like separate their um, positions of power so that no one person becomes too powerful. So the Yoko run the Black Watch, and the Black Watch is also known as the Kuro Iban. Um, and we've seen that in Old Lord too. And the Black Watch is dedicated to destroying the Bloodspeaker cult. Is this the first mention of the Kuroiban in New 5R? I, it is the first mention of the Black Watch. The term Kuroiban is not used here. Uh, is not used in, in this story. And it may not even be used in, in NL5R. I can't remember if it's not used anywhere. I don't think I've seen Black Watch, however, used anywhere. So let's see. And then uh, Junzo's father then becomes basically a pawn to the vestiges of the Bloodspeaker cult. And Junzo turns him over to the Kuriban, and they probably torture him horribly and kill him, and make sure he's he's very very dead. <laughs> the, yeah, there's the question because he's convinced that that counts as his yoga curse. That's I betrayed my father, and that's an interesting question because does betraying someone for a really stupendously good reason as in they're horrifically evil and are now exactly what they swore to destroy, does that count for curse purposes? Or would the curse go, no, 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 that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. I'm not active. I'm still lurking. Well, the question more for Yoga Junzo is, was his father, who he says very clearly he loved, the... And and definitely has good reason to think that betraying his father, you know, activated his curse. But did he love the empire more than his father? Yeah, really difficult. And the implication, therefore, because I'm reasonably certain that in old law, you would know if you're, you had activated your curse. And I think it was possible to discover if a yogo had activated their curse. 
But I, I don't know if that's the case here. Because if he's wrong, that means it's possible to be mistaken. And that, that, that raises a whole bunch of possibilities. Now, all that said, Yoko Junzo sounds like and reads like, and we're in his head, a extremely dedicated servant of the Scorpion and of the Empire. Very passionate about his cause and, and on the up and up all the way through. Um, there have been, what we have read so far in New 5R is that the Yogo do know that they've activated their curse or not. So there's really not much reason to check, uh, to question it. But it's a tricky situation with a lot of cursy stuff going on, and it's called the Yogo curse. So it's not impossible that, uh, you know, someone in this story is still, you know, suffering under its effects. And there's nothing stopping someone just because their yoga curse has activated. That doesn't mean they can never, ever betray anyone ever again. They can still just do it on their own, you know. So we're not completely safe yet. So what Yoga Junzo is up to in the actual fiction when he's not reminiscing about the past is he is attempting to deal with Kunshu, which is horribly, horribly cursed, he is using eight Shugenja who are surrounding it on the eight directions. There are lots of Shikigami and prayer banners and wards all around in order to try and contain its evil, uh, which seems to be inspiration from Untamed. Have you seen that? Have you seen Untamed? I have not. Do tell us a little bit about that. So Untamed is a is a Chinese drama that is extremely popular. It's on Netflix. It's it's popular in the United States right now. And one of the characters, actually a lot of the characters, use many uh, wards here in it. So do so do a lot of uh, Chinese dramas and and animes. It's it's just a common thing to see the the person plastering down the ward of of it but just just a lot of the behavior of the shikigami here um just uh bring bring all of that to mind so that's why i mentioned untamed but it's actually in a lot of things but you've got uh you know shikigami floating in the air they're wrapping around the blade by themselves uh one of them goes bad and like slices a wardmaster's throat and embeds itself in the ground like a knife I love the image here. It has the room filled with hundreds of prayer strips hanging from the ceiling and shivering by themselves there. And interestingly, the Shikigami are referred to as paper gods, which is an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, that's what Yoga Junzo calls them, paper gods. We get to see a little bit more about the way Kunshu is cursed. Uh, it drives people nearby or holding it into like this fit of jealousy and rage where they reframe their whole internal life into that same moment where Sotori um, kills his father. So, uh, you know, they give Yoko Junzo a flashback where he remembers thinking that he deserved the throne uh, the daimyoship of the Yogo over his father because he was more powerful than his father. Um, and it just, that emotion is what lingers. 
But there's also a small element in it or a spirit within it that counters that rage. But it's not like this is a spirit of peace and kindness or anything. This is a spirit of guilt and horror at what this action is committed, which is also part of Hante Sotori. Uh, and uh, Yoga Junzo says that that weak spirit will fall, will fail to the rage. It will just be overwhelmed by that rage if it is not healed by a Hante soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, unfortunately, there isn't one readily available. And, and I find the, the quote that to lose one Hante may be seen as misfortune, to lose two seems like carelessness. <laughs> and so the curse that is is that was stated a long time ago is that whatever falls Kunshu shall before its masters, which is first stated in Imperial Gifts, which is part of the story of the forging of Kunshu, as told by Doji Shizue, and it's given by Yadusugi's sensei. Yadusugi is the one who created Kunshu, and he did that under the guidance of uh, the Kenku. That is the individual who... I don't know if he gave the curse or simply explained it. Well, the Kenku, uh, who was uh, Yasurugi's uh, sensei, picked up the blade right after Yasurugi had forged it and gave a prophecy. And, and the prophecy was, whatever befalls Kunshu, so too shall befall its masters. And this is not necessarily a curse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a prophecy. If good things are happening to Kunshu, good things are happening to its masters, too, if it is being revered and treated properly. And, and that was how Yasurugi and the, and the Kenku, both, Tenku both took it, right? Uh, and how it's been taken. I mean, this... This prophecy is very well known. Uh, Shizue is, starts out the story teaching it to a bunch of, you know, little kids. But when you, something horrible befalls Ken, Kunshu, which has, then that then that uh, prophecy becomes a a curse. And we actually, uh, when we talked about imperial gifts in this podcast, uh, I, I remember talking about the possibility that this prophecy could be turn into a curse. Uh, we talked in the beginning about how this story has elements or spoilers for the high woman. So, you know, if you want to cover up your ears for this part, you can. <laughs> yeah. In the second part of the story, second section of the story, uh, Doji Jiro is guarding this little no-name village in the middle of nowhere. And his lord... Uh, basically, who's the daimyo of this this little territory, is fetting an old woman called Atsuko. And he thinks that she's old, she's covered with makeup, uh, she's thin as a stick, and Jiro is you know, trying to be polite, but he doesn't think much of her. But in any event, the old woman was a character in the RPG module, The High Women. Uh, in that module, there are three 
Oni. And one of those three Oni was called the Sharp-Tongued Oni. And she alternates between kindness and disgust and really uh, tears down uh, people with her, her sharp tongue. And when confronted, she turns into a giant centipede-like monster with many eyes and claws and spiky things. So there's lots of clues that this is the same person. For starters, the name is the same. And, of course, the write-up ahead of time on the book also says this is a story result from the High Women. So it's not too surprising. One of the things that shows up in the module is that it talks about the presence of beetles uh, marking the presence of evil. So if you read this section of the stories, Jiro is always, like, looking at little beetles crawling all over everything. And and that's a sign that the story uses to mark that there is an evil being present. Um, in the module, uh, the being Atsuko is afraid of fire. And she is afraid of fire in this story and keeps telling him to, gets really mad at Jiro when he makes the fire too big and, and wants him to make it a little tiny fire. Um, she gets a special love or joy of shaming and embarrassing beautiful people. So she comments on Jiro being big and handsome and then just humiliates him for it, like calling him a big baby and saying he should wear his Oni mask and stuff. And the final thing is, is that in The High Woman, you are investigating some stolen sake. You know, that's that's really a, a valuable, very fancy sake. That's the that's the point of the mo- the module is you're trying to find some some sake. Well, that same sake is being used to get his daimyo drunk in order to convince him to write this letter to get um, Atsuko to go see Yoko Junzo. Yeah, because that's gonna that's a, that's an excellent meeting that'll go well. I'm certain. Absolutely. Right. Especially right now. So basically, overall, um, I don't know how everybody's playthrough on The High Women turned out. I've played through it twice. Um, One, we didn't get to the climax of it to find out how we did, but it wasn't looking promising. And the second time we played through it, we managed to kill all three Oni in the climax. But that was a very well-tuned group. From what I've heard of rumors from Gen Con, most people did not do very well. The the not finishing was pretty common. And I suspect that Atsuko was probably the one who got killed the least or killed off the party most frequently or some such. And that was the result that was being <laughs> offered for, for Gen Con. So... We don't have the official result like we've got with Wedding at Corte Castle, where they've stated this is these, these are the results we've got. This is this many people did got this result. This many people got this, and therefore this is the one that we are putting forward as having happened in the timeline. We don't have that, but we do have Atsuko wandering about with some stolen sake. Yep, and we do have a comment from Tyler that he made on the Discord saying that this one 
was very hard to give a expected standard answer to with statistics, probably because so few people finished it. So if you don't finish, it's hard to say. That's true. Yeah. That's that's likely why there is no standard write-up and you just get what you get. Yeah. So Yogojiro is engaged. He's going to be marrying another Yogo. Given the Yogo curse, it is reasonably pos- probable that inter-Yogo marriages are pretty common, more common than they are than they might be in other clans. So that's all lovely. Only issue is that we do get when he proposed to her, and it was actually while she was still in mourning. That's that's led to some speculation. That has. Uh, that was a pretty hilarious moment because only a yoga would ask would ask a girl to marry him right by where his grandparents are buried. Yeah, this is kind of Adam's family moment. I think uh, yoga courtship. I thought it was hilarious. The uh, here they called the assistant maintaining the castle for Yoga Junso, the Seneschal, which in other places we've seen it called the Castellan. So maybe they're different positions, but I thought I'd point that out. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those yeah one of those typical things where those do how how well do those English terms how well do they match? But never mind. We have a threat mentioned from the Shadowed Swamp, which is a spoiler from Trail of Shadows, which is the Shadowlands Marsh, which is the Shadowlands Marshes, and that's the place where Hidesune retrieved the armor Kikyo in the Crab novella. So Junzo knew, and largely because his father had got involved in all of this, that there was one of the lost masks of Yuchiban in the Shadowed Swamps, and his father wanted to mount an expedition there to, to get it, and that was part of all the horrible problems. The four masks of Yuchiban unseal the blood sorcerer's tomb, which is something that was a big thing in old 5R. And we also know from the Trail of Shadows, the crab novella, that Kuniyori has found one of the masks with the armor Kikyo in the Shadowed Swamps and already had another. So he has at least two. That's an interesting development that I'm sure will go completely lovely and wonderful, especially given that Kuniyori has chosen to continue going deeper into the Shadowlands after he found out he was tainted instead of going home and accepting what he'd done. So it's all going to be brilliantly lovely and nothing will go wrong. Yeah. So that's an interesting intersection between those two lines of the story. And uh, now we've gone from uh, imperial politics straight to uh, Kuniyori's basement, which is also a very evil basement, though Yoko Junzo, as we said, thinks his basement is more evil. So currently, lots of events in the Empire are indicating a growing presence of Shadowlands within the body of the Empire, not just what the crab have showing up. So you've got all kinds of monsters mobilizing. You've got ogres, goblins, and trolls, they say, bog hags, and mahasukai, 
uh, Oni's fires, bodies are found eaten on the roads. Now, if you play, here's another little spoiler, uh, in the Palace of the Emerald Champion RPG module, there is a optional encounter in there where goblins and an Oni and an ogre just spontaneously show up. So all of these creatures that shouldn't be in the Empire are showing up all sorts of places through the Empire. And this predates Kunshu being cursed. Although the, the implication is that Kunshu is becoming a focus and that they are becoming aware of it. And are being so drawn to it. So that's going to start drawing things in. We also have the... Spine of the World Mountains, which is northeast of the Castle of Learning. There is a Demon's Gate, which is a smaller end into Goku of some kind. We're not quite sure what it is. The Festering Pit is referred to as the True Gate. And there are two Demon's Gates mentioned, but whether one is... I'm not, I'm not entirely certain myself whether that means the Festering Pit and this Demon's Gate he's referring to. Or if there are two smaller demons gates around, but uh, it's not good, regardless. So if you look at this location on the map, you can see where the castle of learning is, and you can look to the uh, northeast, and it goes straight across the spine of the world mountains there. And on the other side, straight northeast of there, is the temple of listening ghosts in Lionlands. Uh, the Temple of Listening Ghosts is a very sacred Kitsu temple, uh, which the Kitsu use to uh, commune with their ancestors, and they f- you know, they find that place uh, the the space between the worlds is is very thin. There, it's it's a very narrow stretch of place where this could possibly be, and it has to be in a mountain pass. I mean, there's there's no place else for it to be because. Both are wedged right up against the mountains there. Given that, it is a, it has to be a mountain pass, but we don't have traffic going through that area. Otherwise, there would be a big sign saying, big Demon's Gate pit right here. Well, whether, whether it's necessarily a pass all the way through the Spine of the World Mountains is another question. Well, you've got these two... You've got these two things on one side or the uh, of the other, mm, but but they don't nece- they don't necessarily connect. They don't necessarily connect, and actually, I would theorize that they aren't. So this is purely genie, you know, Kaori theory here. But my theory is that this used to be a pass. These castles were built on either side of the pass because that's very normal for a pass to happen. Very early in the empire. But this is where Akodo died. Well, okay. Bringing down, because Akodo died in, early in the Empire uh, to destroy an army of Suno who was coming in to attack Lionlands, right? But you don't have any anything about from these ancient stories of like an army of Suno marching all the way across the Empire or something. They seem to like be be right there. So yeah, yeah. he brought. The mountain down to stop the army of Suno and killed himself in the process. So I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if that area there is the spot where Akoto died and he has been the one who's blocked this demon's gate from 
being more active or anything like that than than we than we have. So it's just speculation, but speculation is is fun here. <laughs> you know, we do that. There is a we do know there's a penitent order of ascetic monks who protect the castle of learning. The castle of learning has no doors or windows facing northeast, precisely because of this. And northeast is, I believe, a traditionally dangerous direction. So that's that's kind of being brought in here, which is kind of cool. Yeah, in Alt 5R, much, much, much later, a second gate to Jakoku was formed here in Scorpion Lands. But the idea of there being a second natural gate, like not formed by RPG circumstances or LCG circumstances, is brand is is new in New 5R. Asako says that scorpion are measured when they are born and the large ones are shipped to the Kayu wall to become crabs. Although it must be said that Asako could just be being a pain to Jiro at this point, which is what she's been doing. And Jiro is a big lad, so she's probably just saying, oh, look at you, you're not a proper scorpion. Eh. As ship opposed- you off to the wall if you make me yeah. happy. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to actually saying anything true. So mm-hmm. maybe it's true, maybe it's not, I don't know. I mean, if you did want to send a scorpion agent to the wall, a big lad would be better because the crab are very often large gentlemen and ladies, so you kind of want somebody who might fit in. But I, it's possible that is just something that she's made up to be cruel. Yeah, I think that it's. I think it's not true. I think she just did it as a kind of veiled threat to say that if um, Jiro does not please her and do what she wants, she's going to have him shipped off to the wall just because he's big. And he that's how he understands it because he immediately follows it by apologizing her, to her for offending her in a way that would cause her to be so cruel. If he really knew that was the case. I mean, she has no reason that she would know it, be more likely to know that than he would. I mean, she's not a scorpion either. Then he would have some other response other than, I'm sorry, what did I do to tick you off? But there's that hint of truth that if the scorpion did want to send a spy to the crab, a larger scorpion would probably be a better secret agent and receive fewer inquiries. So um, a ghost shows up, a ghost of of Hideo, uh, Hideo being uh, Yogojiro's friend, who and he is bearing a scroll with a broken broken seal, which is very interesting. So the appearance of this this ghost shows up. He comes. He shows up off over water, and floats to shore, which actually is something you see in a lot of. Japanese ghost stories. I don't know if you've noticed that. Maybe it comes from those those scary fogs on the fogs on the water. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Uh, he comes to shore. Like I said, he has this scroll with a broken seal, and Jiro says it's because he was he thinks he's haunted because his friend was killed on his wedding day after a a secret miss- mission from his daimyo sent him off to go mm-hmm. um, go on this mission. So Yeah. Fair amount of speculation. 
I actually thought it was really hilarious because this ghost is suddenly appearing. You know, you've got the centipede lady and you've got, well, the potentially centipede lady and Jiro, and it's all very spooky. And this ghost happens. And it's essentially, she says, Does that happen often? And he goes, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every so often. What do you do? What, what, what can you do? It's not quite like that, but it's kind of, I didn't realize that it was literally just, I thought this was incredibly spooky and relevant to what's going on. No, no, it's it's a thing that apparently just happens to the poor lad. So uh, obviously that's where he got some of his points from. Haunted. Haunted Much speculation yeah. as to why, because you would have thought being killed in glorious battle would not be the sort of thing that makes you go haunt someone. So... Given that he proposed to his fiancée when she was still in mourning, stepping into his friend's shoes, and given the ghost is pointing the scroll at Jiro, did Jiro have something to do with Hideo going on that mission? Like, was Jiro the one who was meant to go on the mission and he got Hideo to do it? Or did he deliberately, you know, like from the beginning, said, I think you should send Hideo on this mission that is most certainly not a suicide mission. No. And that certainly won't allow his fiancée to not marry him and marry me instead. Mm. This is speculation. Mm -hmm. It does fit in with the yogo. It does fit in with the yogo and betrayal. So... I suspect this is going to be something that will come up in part two. But, uh, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. That's that's also, you know, potentially – That I, I love that. I love that speculation. I think it's great, and we'll have to find out, find out more. Um, however, the, another possibility if, uh, if Jiro is really just poor Jiro and didn't do anything wrong, <laughs> which is possible, the, the – scroll with the broken seal could be that the ghost is bringing a warning trying to uh, warn Jiro, warn his friend about the terrible thing that was going to happen very soon because there are scrolls and they have seals and they are black and uh, and they are kept in the evil basement of Yogo Genzo. Yes. Best place <laughs> to put him, quite frankly. So if that's the case, then well, um, I guess it all comes down to, has uh, Jiro broken his Yoko curse yet? Has he... Yeah. You know, has he betrayed his friend by killing them, getting them killed in this fashion so he could uh, you know, woo his uh, friend's fiance? Certainly a possible possibility. Or... Has he not broken his curse yet? He really is a harmless patsy. And now he's taking an horrible threat right into the same castle where his fiance and love lives. And, and also the rest of the, the, the Yogo and the Scorpion and the huge threat to the Empire and... And so on and so on and so on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's a whole, whole bunch. I mean, and also, like I've said, even if betraying Hideo turns out to have been his yoga curse, that doesn't stop him doing another betrayal. Right, right. Doesn't stop that at all. One last thing. There is a two-headed crow omen that shows up. Yeah, he's just sitting on a branch there. <laughs> yeah, just sitting there. 
crow is a symbol of Shinsei. It was originally a brightly coloured bird, but it got turned black as it travelled into the Shadowlands with Shinsei. So that's one connection there. Uh, in this case, it seems to be a Yogen Notori, or prophecy bird, a two-headed crow with one white head and one black head. They are used by the gods to deliver important messages to humanity, such as warnings about epidemics and or leading horrible demons into Yogo castles, possibly. You know, just you know, stuff like that. And the image was believed to help keep evil spirits and disease away from the viewer for a time, which is uh, in actual Japanese history. Right. So I was, I was trying to figure out why is there just a two-headed bird with a white head and a black head just sitting on, on the branch there. And, and Jiro has no idea what this thing is. And it's just sitting there. And nobody's paying attention to it. He sees it and dismisses it and walks on like two-headed birds or something you see all the time. But, you know, it's, it's been a day like that. I mean, his ghost, his ghost friend showed up the night before and he has to deal with this horrible, horrible woman. So, you know, what could be worse? Yeah, and there's a bird with two heads. Oh, you would have thought a yoga would they they would kind of explain to most yoga, even even the the soldiers. Here's a list of omens to look out for. Really look out for this one because this is important. But apparently no. But then again, he'd had a bad day, so. Well, eleven twenty three and twenty twenty have more than a few things in common. What a year! Oh, it <laughs> feels like eleven twenty three's been going on forever. <laughs> So, so um, yoga notori of uh, prophecy birds is is something that's shown up and and has been a neglected omen. But we, the reader, can can enjoy it as being one of the more fun little yokai to show up. So, uh, what what's going to happen next? That's the question, right? Um, hopefully, uh, a new fiction with slightly fewer law nuggets for us to go through. No, more law, more. <laughs> more, more, more. Can there even be more? I need to spend more three more hours breaking down the next fiction. Oh, dearie me. There is a thing that, we, that was one of the relatively recent cards. It may not even be out yet. Was, I think it was one of the spoilers that has been out recently. Message Messenger of Misery has the flavor text that goes as follows. Dread drove him faster than his own heartbeats. If his lord could not prevail, what could even the region do against such demonic power? Yet, if he failed to reach Shoju in time, what hope remained? And this kind of feels like, okay, I think we know where this is coming from now. <laughs> yep. And he's that 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 message is going to be super happy when he gets to the capital, right? And there's Shoju, either dead or under arrest, and completely unable to do anything about his. I need to speak to the regent, and so like, okay, excellent. Come here, speak to Kikikitiochi. So like, that's not who I was looking for. Oh dear. And I'm sure he has instructions to not talk to anyone else but Bayushi Shoju because. And I'm certain that Yoshi will be nothing but helpful. Absolutely. Well, I don't think he'll even say because um, it's been established in, in the text here that Yoga Junso doesn't think anyone else but Shoju can know about it because 
he, he like he can't write to other clans or stuff because no matter what happens, if anyone else outside the Scorpion know, then they would know that Kunshu is cursed, which means they will know that the emperor was murdered. And that is, in fact, what started this whole chain of offense anyway, is finding out Kunshu is cursed. So. And, and knowing that is very likely to completely splinter the empire in some kind of, oh, I don't know, clan war. <laughs> I, I don't know what happens. It's just, it just can't be good. At all. No, no. Nothing good is going to happen of this. Nothing, nothing <laughs> happens that's good. No. <laughs> but you've got to tell us your thoughts regarding the events that are approaching. And and if you've got suggestions for the writers or on how to make it worse, I'm sure that they would be delighted <laughs> to know how to make things even worse than ways that they haven't even thought of. Because, of course, No. How could how could it not be worse? Um, but but even if they don't listen, please tell us what could make this situation worse on on the Discord or on our Court Games Pod forums. We would very much appreciate knowing just how bad the uh, cluster that is eleven twenty three. How much worse that that could get? Because it's almost December. It is it's almost <laughs> December. Good lord. Winter court will be fun. Ha! Huh. So, that's us for this week. I would like to give out a shout-out to our Court Games Network, including the L5R LCG podcast, our Live from Tokyo podcast, Tokyo of the Five Rings, and our two actual play role-playing podcasts, Crimson Gold Agonies and Fortune and Strife. And I'd further like to give a shout-out to our friends at D20 Radio, who have a whole swathe of fantastic role-playing podcasts for you to listen to. Our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, as well as our website, which is where you can store and see longer-term information and find summaries of our podcasts, uh, great RPG tools, and more. Uh, for our patrons, we do have some special content like early access to our AP podcasts uh, and other things as we think of them. But if there are things that you would like as a Patreon, please, please let us know. You can find us online at courtgamespod.com. On Twitter, we are twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And you can find us at Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. All right. But that's it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I've been Korva. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy. Very, very handy. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very handy.
Radio, where gamers roll.